As, uh, as I said earlier, pastor's on vacation, um, and uh, so I'm up here teaching. Uh, my name, if you don't know me, I'm C.J. Burroughs. I'm the student pastor here, uh, and pastor uh, got here early this morning to make sure that, he said, if you have any defaming jokes about me, I want to let you know that not to tell them because I will be here, which was a mistake in itself, because uh, you see, when I pick on you, it's because I love you, and I, I'm thinking about you, and so I'm going to show you exactly how much I love pastor right now. Uh, but he didn't say no stories, so I can tell a pastor story, does not a pastor joke. So, uh, so I'll tell you a story. I do care about Pastor Doug very much. He makes this job looks, look very easy uh, and does a great job doing it. But that's not what the story is about. The story is about a conference we went to in Texas, and now he's starting to squirm because there's a thousand stories from that one. Um, and, and Brad's laughing because he was there too. It was all three of us. It was, our, it was one of our first conferences as a staff all together, uh, and it was great. It was a really great conference. But uh, the one part that really wasn't great, uh, Brad got violently sick one night, uh, and so he wasn't able to go the next day. So it was just Pastor and I in the car, and so we're going to the conference. And as we're driving, uh, he says, oh, look, there's a couple pastors up there. They're probably going to the same pastor's conference. And if you're wondering how did we know that they were pastors, it's because you can spot a senior pastor from six miles away. I don't know if it's what the way they walk. I don't know if it's what they wear. They were bald. Maybe that was part of it. The giant Bible. I don't know what it was, but we knew they were pastors. There was no doubt. And so he pulls over and he says, hey, you guys need to ride to the conference center. And they said, yeah, that's not awkward at all or strange at all that a man drives by and picks us up. But they jumped, they jumped in the car and we get going and pastor's a very kind man. And he says, so where are you guys from? And they say, we're from Minnesota. And he goes, oh, Minnesota, eh? Uh, and they stopped talking. They were done. They were done talking to us. So we let them know, you know, when you go to visit people from the church, don't make fun of their home, their culture. Not a good move. That's not the funny part of the story. We're getting there. We're getting there. So we're going. And we go into this parking garage where we had to park. And we had been in that parking garage at least 10, 12, 15 times, pulled up on that parking garage. And uh, so we go up there. And Pastor's obviously feeling very awkward because these guys are not talking at all in the back. I mean, they are silent. They don't, these are guys that get paid to talk. And they are not talking at all. And so he sees this spot. And he's like, I need to get out of this car. So he sees the spot to the right. And he comes up. And he turns. And when he turns, the car starts doing this number as it's running over this giant yellow curb. It's like spray painted yellow. It's at least two feet wide. I mean, it's doing this number. And everyone's scared. And we pull in the parking space. And I've never seen two grown men get out of a car faster than these guys in the back seat. I mean, they thought these guys picked us up on the side of the road. They're going to kill us. And they're going to start by trying to find a parking space. There was stuff all over the road. Luckily, none of it was from the rental car. But, um... That's my pastor story for the day. So I love you. That has nothing to do with the sermon. Uh, really, that was a good conference. That was, that was a lot of fun. I love telling those stories. So back on what we're talking about, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 18. So if you have your Bible, you can open there. If you don't have a Bible, there's one in the pew in front of you. Uh, so you can pull that out. Towards the end of this last school year, as I said, I'm the student pastor over youth. And um, we were, uh, in Wednesday nights, we were having our students develop teaching plans, develop lessons, uh, and so we would get with them and kind of help them through uh, doing that process. And I thought it was really good that, that our students were developing lessons. They were Because as a Christian, I believe that all Christians should be able to teach. They should have the ability to teach because that's what it says in the Bible. We have to be able to communicate spiritual truths, and so it was giving them that opportunity. It also let them see what it feels like to be up there when no one's listening, uh, which is how youth ministry works. So you stand up there and you talk and no one listens. Um, but one of the great parts about it was being able to show them how to study uh, and show them how to, to pick a topic. And what I told them is, is the two best things to do when you're trying to f- pick, a, pick a topic out 
is to pick something you're either very passionate about or something you need to learn yourself, something you're learning yourself, because those are topics you're more comfortable teach, er, t- studying because you want to learn about it, because you either really like it or you know you need to learn about it. And so the last several times I've been up here speaking, I picked things that I was passionate about. Uh, my mother-in-law asked yesterday, she asked, what controversy are you preaching on this week? And I said, we'll give him a break. Uh, so, uh, so this week I wanted to teach, uh, teach you guys something that I've been learning, something God's been showing me. Uh, and so that's what we're going to do today. We're going to look at something that God's been putting on my heart. And I'm sure uh, there's others in here that uh, have the same lesson that they're either learning or need to learn. For those who don't know me, I have a very good memory. Uh, I do. My wife comments on that frequently, uh, sometimes not to her benefit that I'll remember things or I'll remember conversations that we had and she will have conveniently forgot them. Um, but uh, but I, I have a good memory. I can probably walk you through from kindergarten to my senior year, every teacher in every class in order that I, that I did. Uh, I remember kids that were in my kindergarten class that I've never seen since then. It's really good. I have, I have a good memory for names and faces, which is helpful in the ministry to, to remember your names. It's, it's important uh, to do. So I can do that. I can remember jokes. I can remember stories, one-liners, quotes, random facts. I've, I've just got a good memory. I remember things, which is great, except that it's very difficult for me to forget things that I probably should forget. When it comes to things that have happened to me that are not the most positive on me, I, I can't forget those. I can't forget the, the harsh words that someone says to me. I remember them. I can recall them. I can tell you the exact day, where we were at, what we're talking about. I can remember uh, those unkind gestures. I went to hug a family member of mine, and as I did, they recoiled and backed up. That's not fun. I wanted to punch her in the face. I, I didn't. I didn't, but, but that's painful. When you go to hug a family member who's supposed to love you, and they pull back because they're mad at you, it's, it's not good. I can remember when I've been treated unfairly. I can remember when things have been said about me that weren't true. I can remember, uh, you know, when I've done the right thing, someone else has done the wrong thing, and they get no punishment for what they did. You know, I worked hard to do the right thing. Why didn't they get that punishment? Uh, I, I can remember all these things, which it becomes a curse then, because I can constantly remember those things, and I hold grudges. I can hold a grudge with the best of them. I haven't eaten a lost margaritas in 10 years because of something they did 10 years ago. I should just move on. I, I, just, I just don't eat there because I'm not going to eat there. Um, but I can hold grudges, Okay. I can hold grudges. And, and the reason why I, I do these things is because I feel like I've been slighted in some way. What you've done is wrong, and I want it to be right. What you've done was wrong to me, and I want to make it even. I want to make it fair. I want to make, I want to make sure everything is right. And I'm, con- convinced, I'm consumed with this idea of I want what's fair for me, I want what's right for me, and I don't care how I get it. That's, that's, that's the wrong motivation, of course. That's not the way I should be responding, but... Regardless of what it is, I want to be right. And the idea of being right is, is just inundated our culture. It's all over our culture, especially here in America. The idea of rights, of there being things that we should have, there, there are proper ways for us to be treated, is, is just all throughout our American culture. We've got the Bill of Rights, our unalienable rights, right to life, right to choose, right to privacy. Most recently, we've had the right to get married. People that feel like they're not being treated fairly and want it changed, it's, it's all through us. I mean, that's, that's, in our, that's in our personality. It's in our human DNA. That's who we are as sinful humans is we want what's coming to us and we want you to suffer if that means we don't get what's coming to us. Even at a young age, we still, we still do these things. I, when I was growing up, I lived behind student, uh, Santa Fe College, uh, but the first house I lived in was in Northeast Gainesville. That's where I lived uh, when I was really little. Um, it wasn't the safest neighborhood we moved after we had to play, you know, stay below the windows. We had to play that game. You ever play that game? It was not a fun game. My mom said, we're out of here. Um, but, uh, but that's another story for another day. It was a very small house, but there was this giant screened-in porch on the side of the house. And we used to play there because there was all kinds of things we'd get in trouble 
out there in that screen port. So we'd go out there and play. While my mom likes telling the story of her finding me poking holes in a screen. If you're an adult and you have screens and you know your children poke holes in them, it just drives you crazy because now because you can't just fix it. You can't fix the screen. You got to get a new one. So I'm poking holes in the screen, and she says, "What are you doing?" And I looked at her, and at no older than four, I said, "I have a right to be angry." No more than four. I have a right to be angry. And she says, you're right, you do. Now get that stinky little attitude out to your room. Go. We're done with this. And I did because I knew it was coming next. But even at a young age, I knew I had a right. I knew I had a right to be angry. I was allowed to be angry because that was what my sinful nature told me I was allowed to do. I found myself saying that phrase over and over again in a variety of ways. I have a right to be angry. I have a right to hold this grudge. I have a right to ignore your call. I have a right to treat you like you treated me. I have a right to get even. I have a right. We've said those things, maybe not out loud, we've said in our heads, I have a right. But Scripture doesn't tell us that. Scripture doesn't tell us that we have a right, it tells us the exact opposite. So let's take a look, Matthew chapter 18, starting in verse 21. You may have read this passage before, and if you have, I just ask you to do one thing. Just shoot a quick prayer to God. God, show me something new, because God's Word is new every day. God's Word teaches something new every time we read it. Um, So just send that up to Him. Don't dismiss the passage, because you've read it probably a thousand times. That's okay. Starts in verse 21. Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? Jesus answered, I tell you, not even not seven times, but seventy-seven times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him ten thousand talents brought to was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. 10,000 talents, uh, from what I've seen in my studies, was roughly equivalent to 200,000 years of a day laborer's wage. That's what that means. Uh, It breaks down to 375 tons of silver. It was a lot of money. A lot of money. So verse 26, At this the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. But when the servant went out and found one of his fellow servants who owed him 100 denarii, a denarii is one day's wage. 200,000 years worth of wages, 100 days worth of wages. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, Be patient with me and I will pay it back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what happened, they were outraged and went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant. Wicked is never a good word to hear when it's being told to you in the Bible. Wicked servant. He said, I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he he owed. This is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. How could that servant who had been forgiven for so much turn around and do this? How could he be so selfish over this relatively inconsequential debt? He deserved what the master did to him. Those are the things that I say in my head when I read this. Which is really funny because Jesus isn't talking about anyone specific here. He's talking about all of us when when we're reading this. You see, when we read this story, we're supposed to put ourselves in here because that's the purpose of it. When Peter asks this question, he's saying, this is what everyone else is doing. Not, excuse me, this is not what everyone else is doing. The forgiveness of seven times was what the good people were doing. That was really good. He was being really generous, forgiving them seven times. He's saying, so is that, is that good enough? Is it good enough if I forgive them seven times? Because that's what it takes to be a good Jew, seven times. Am I good? And Jesus looks at him, and like he does over and over again in the Bible, he says, you missed the whole point. 
You missed the whole point. Jesus said that over and over again. It's not, it's not having an adulterous affair. It's looking at a woman. That's wrong. It's not killing somebody. It's being angry with somebody. That's wrong. You've missed the point. And here he says you've missed the point. It's not the number of times you forgive. I want you to see the amount that was forgiven. It's almost like Jesus is saying, do you see how much I've forgiven you? I've forgiven you so much, it would take thousands of lifetimes for you to pay me back. Quit worrying about how many times you must forgive and just be different. I don't care what everyone else is doing. I want you to be different. I don't care what the good people are doing. You, as my follower, are called to be different. And that's what Christ calls us to do. And in and, and all kinds of arenas in our lives, how we raise our children, we're called as Christians to be different, to look different. How we treat our spouses, we're called to be different. How we work, we're called to be different. How we spend our money, how we spend our time, we're called to be different. And how we relate to each other, especially in the area of forgiveness, we're called to be different. Do we as Christians in the modern church look very different from anyone else? No. It's really sad that we don't. I was looking at several statistics uh, by a Barna Group study that was done in 2011 where it was comparing percentages of Christians versus non-Christians that were doing things that Christians should do in the... Percentages were usually very close, and sometimes non-Christians got it more right than Christians did. And in our church today, in this specific area, not looking at spouses, kids, jobs, time, just looking at forgiveness, are we any better in the church about forgiving and about reconciling relationships than others outside the church? No. Do we go and say, there's an issue, we need to go ahead and discuss this issue, or do we avoid that issue? We avoid it. I'm just as guilty. Don't think I'm calling you out. I am just as guilty. I mean, do we, do we say, okay, uh, you've hurt me, and so I'm going to go ahead and forgive you, or do we say, I'm going to hold it over you, and I'm going to keep reminding you? And if I don't keep reminding you, I'm going to keep reminding everyone else I know so they all know what happened. That's what we do. Do we come together as a body, or do we split and form the second Baptist church in Alachua? That's really what churches do. That's why we have so many churches, because we can't come together. We have to separate. Now, yes, some churches are good because they focus on different groups and different styles and everything else, but really I, I, think, I think there's a lot of churches that are formed purely because we don't want to get along, purely because we don't want to reconcile, purely because we've been hurt and we don't really want to deal with it. It's not right. We're called to be different. We're called to be different. I mean, you personally, if I were to ask you, are you different or are you more like everyone else? I'm scared to give you my answer because it's not the right one. It's not the right one. I do not act different in the way Christ would want me to in my relationships. I have scars in my relationships that I am unwilling to let heal. I have offenses that have been thrown my way that I am unwilling to let go of. There have been things done to me that I want to repay, and I don't think God can do a good enough job of it. I think I can do a better job of making someone pay for what they did than God can. And it's not right. I want them to feel the justice that should come their way, and it's not right. And I know I'm not alone. I know I'm not alone, but it's, it's not right. God's called me to be different, and I'm sitting here doing what I want to do. And what's really funny is, is, is for me in particular, I've had something staring me in the face for the last several years that I just had to laugh when I read it this week. If you're wearing a Madhouse shirt, Bob Madhouse shirt has got a verse. We're going to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. This is the verse for the ministry that I am in charge of, and we're going to look and see how it slaps me in the face when I read this, and that's how I behave. This is our, this is, this is our, our verse. This is what we rally behind. Technically, it's just 13 and 14, but the whole chapter is great, so we're going to read whole big portions of it. 
2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 13 says, If we are out of our mind, as some say, it is for God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. Meaning that when we serve Christ, sometimes we do things that don't make sense to a lot of people. For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all, and therefore all died. So I've died. And he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them was raised again. So if I claim to love and trust Christ, then I am saying I have died. And if I have died, I don't have a right to hold anything over anyone. I'm gone. I'm done. If I claim to trust and love Christ, who CJ is is gone. Everything I do should be controlled and compelled by Christ and what who Christ is and what he's done. So I can't hold over the head of my family member that didn't hug me. Because I'm dead. I'm gone. Jesus wants me to move past that. I can't hold over somebody's head the words they said because CJ, who they said it to, is dead and gone. And now it's somebody else who's serving Christ. Everything I do comes from who Christ is and what he did for me. That's different. Different is saying, I don't care what happened between us. If you don't know Jesus, if you're not a Christian, let me tell you about the God who paid a huge price to save me. Let me tell you about the God who loves me so much that even though I hated him, he loved me. That's different. It's different saying, if you know Christ, I don't care what's happened between us, you and I need to go find somebody who doesn't know Jesus, and we need to go tell them about him. It's saying, I don't care what's happened between us, we're going to love each other because we're going to be different. Because let me tell you what, people, the church doesn't look different. People don't want to be part of a church that doesn't look different. People don't want to be part of a church that says, we won't love the people in here, so how can we love the people that are out there? We need to be different. We're called to be different. I know the t-shirt only says 13 to 14. 15 is great. We're going to keep going in verse 16. It says, So from now on we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Hating somebody, having bitterness against somebody, is a worldly point of view. That's not God's point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old has gone, the new is here. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. God has given us a ministry of bringing people together. That's, what he's, that's, what, that's our job, is to bring people together. Let's keep going. 19. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against him, and he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. Not only do we have the ministry, but he's given us the message to give them to bring people together. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Who in your life have you looked at with a worldly point of view? I've got a list. I've got a list in my pocket. I was going to pull it out later. I've got a list in my pocket of people that I need to forgive because I've looked at them in a worldly point of view and not treat them the way Christ has wanted me to treat them. Who needs to be blessed with that ministry of reconciliation? And yes, this ministry is talking about reconciling people to God. I understand that. So don't, don't tune me out here because let me, let me tell you something. When God says that we're to show his love, do we show that love by saying, I hate you, but God loves you, so why don't you go hang out with God? No, we show the love of God by loving others. Just like we show people that God wants to be reconciled to them by us reconciling to them. We don't say, God wants to spend time with you, I don't, so go hang out with God. We don't do that. We don't say, God forgives you, but I don't, so go hang out with God. We do it by saying, I forgive you because God forgives you. I want to spend time with you because God wants to spend time with you. I want to be reconciled. I want to be, be with you because God wants to be with you. That's what we're, that's what we're called to do here. That's our mission. And when we are embittered, when we're angry with each other, when we hate each other, we're missing the point of our mission as a Christian. We're, just, we're missing it. We're called to bring people together. 
So who do you need to reconcile with? I mean, who? somebody is probably on your mind that you'd say, you know what, they've hurt me greatly. And you're either telling me that it's, that it's such a great hurt that it can't even begin to be conquered uh, by God, and it, that's wrong. God is there to, to, to reconcile a relationship. Uh, or you're saying, you're right, there's somebody that I need to forgive. It's easier for us to think about it in here, and if you're like me, you, you've got something in your head, and if you're like me, you'll forget the second you walk out this door who you were thinking of. You'll forget, you'll go eat lunch, and then next week will be here, and you won't even remember what I spoke on. Uh, that's, that's, that's just who we are. But if there's someone in your heart that you know, I've got to reconcile with them. God's called me to do this, and I have not been different. I have not done what he's asked me to do. Um, I'm going to give you an opportunity in a little bit to, to do something to help you remember who that is. We're called to reconcile. We're called to be together. We're called to, to, to be different. And it's not different you know, several years from now when we get our act together. You know, we, uh, how many of us have, have heard stories of people who've lost loved ones and said, I wish I would have told them this. I had an uncle who passed away at age 45, uh, and I had never asked him if he knew Christ. Man, that tore me up. Tore me up, realizing that I had wasted time. If you guys have somebody that you know that you've treated unfairly because they've treated you unfairly, or you haven't forgiven, and so you've avoided them, we're not guaranteed to have three years for us to get over ourselves. We're not guaranteed to have this long span of time before we can finally get up the nerve. We're called to do it right now. We're called to do it today. I've got uh, several sheets of paper up here. I'm going to have um, some students come out and hand them out. And if you'd say, you know, there's somebody that I know I, I've got to forgive. Maybe it's one person. Maybe it's like my list, and there's like seven names on that list. Um, and you'd say, I want to write that down. And I'm not going to collect these and say, okay, good. So Brad's got this person he needs to forgive. Um, but it's, it's for you to put in your pocket to put on your mirror, to put on the dash, whatever it takes so that you are constantly reminded that you have unforgiveness in your life that needs to be taken care of and it's just staring you in the face. Um, I'm going to give you a chance to get one of those cards in just a little bit. It's just a little sheet of paper. So if you'd rather tear it off of your bolt and do that, that's fine too. But if that's you, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand. And don't be scared like, I don't want to raise my hand because then people are going to know I don't have forgiveness. Raising your hand says, I want to be different. Raise your hand, raise your hand says, I want to be different. I'm called to be different. I'm called to forgive. Let me get some high school students. Come on up here. We got some people that want hands. Four high school students. Will, Cole, Aaron, and oh, Mark. Come on up. Just come on up. You're just handing sheets of paper out to people. Come on up. If you say, I want a sheet of paper, don't be scared. I'm not asking you to. So hands up. If you say, I want to be different. I know so, I got somebody right now that I need to forgive, and I need to do it today, and I'm going to forget because I'm Rob Drumheller, and I'm going to forget. And, uh, you know, he, I'm just being honest. I'm just being honest. Forgot. You forgot who. You forgot who already. We need to be different, and it needs to start right now. Let me tell you one more thing as they're handing these out. One final thought. When someone offends you, it's sin. And when you hold bitterness and anger in your heart against them, that's also sin. Anybody else? Hands up. Anybody else? And where does that sin come from? You can say, here, that's fine. Where does that sin come from? It comes from Satan. And why does, sin, why does Satan do that? Because he wants to distract us from what God's called us to do. Sin is what God, what Satan uses to distract us from what God wants us to do. A couple weeks ago in our Sunday school books, they were talking about this. They were saying that when you have conflict with somebody, it's because Satan wants you to have conflict with that person. Satan wants to ruin that relationship. It's not the other person. It's Satan getting in there and destroying that. So the next time you find yourself in a situation where someone has offended you or you're upset with somebody, I want you to ask yourself a question. What is Satan trying to distract me from doing? What is God's plan and purpose in the re this relationship that Satan's trying to distract me from doing? Because that's what's happening. Satan's trying to get in there and distract us. So let's go ahead and pray, and then, um, and then we'll continue. Father, I thank you that...
that you've forgiven me for so much, that you've forgiven this, this, this huge debt. And Lord, I ask that you would begin to change me, begin to change us here in this room, that we would be different as you've called us to be different. We all have different areas, but let it start today with us forgiving our brother and our sister. That parable there says that that's how God's going to treat us. If we don't forgive each other, he's not going to know us. If, we're, if we truly trust you, we're going to forgive each other. So Lord, help us with that. Help us to forgive each other. Help us to be different. Ask these things in your name. Amen. You know, in this story, it has one of two outcomes. The first outcome is, is that that first servant would have forgiven that debt. And that king would have, would have kept them out of prison. That's the response that a Christian takes. That's the response that someone who trusts Christ takes is, is forgiving. The other response was what actually happened in the story where there wasn't forgiveness that was carried on. That first servant wasn't as thankful for that sacrifice that was made, that, that forgiveness that was given. And that penalty was, was imprisonment until he could pay it back. 200,000 years of wages that he was supposed to pay back. I don't think he ever got out. Today, if you'd say, you know, I'm forgiving people, I'm moving in the right direction, I know that Christ forgave me for this huge, huge debt, and so I'm just paying that forward. That's awesome. That's great. That means that you're, you're, you're one in the kingdom. You're, you're going to heaven. You're, you're a Christian, you're following Christ, that's great. But if you're not, then it, it may mean that you don't know Christ, you don't trust Christ. So let me just, just tell you this, that, that whoever you are, that, that your debt has already been paid. In this story, it doesn't say that, uh, you notice that God, that the king forgave that debt and then this other stuff happened. You've been forgiven for everything you've done. And what you've done looks like 200,000 years of wages. The sin that we cast at God, the sin that we do against God is so insurmountable we can't even begin to, to, to count it. The Bible has to give it 200,000 years of wages as a description. But God forgave it. God forgave it and took pity on us. And so... If this is the first time you're, you're hearing that and understanding that, I want to encourage you to say thank you for that, for that forgiveness. To say, God, I, okay, I see that now. I see it. You've forgiven me. We're good. Thank you. And then you go out and you love people because that's what God did for you and you forgive others. And become a follower of Christ. That's what it means to become a follower of Christ is to understand what God did for us and to be thankful uh, and to share with others. So if that's you and you've, you've never... You've never thought of it that way. We're going to sing a song of invitation. Brad, if you and the musicians want to come on up, we're going to sing a song, and, and that time is the time for you to be able to say, okay, it's another, before I walk out this door and forget, before I walk out this door and, and nothing changes, it's an opportunity for you to come forward and, and ask for prayer. There's nothing I can do to, to change anything. God's already done it. God's already forgiven you. God's already pricked your heart, and he's already started to draw you towards him. But if you want somebody to pray for you, I'd love to do that. Pastor's here. He'd love to pray with you. If that's, if, if that's not your situation, if you'd say, you know what, I know I'm a Christian, but I'm still struggling, and I need some prayer. I've got this person on my sheet of paper, and I know it's going to be very difficult for me to call them. I need some prayer too. Come on up. If you need prayer for anything, that's what this time is for, is for us to pray with you. If, you've, if you were saved and you want to be baptized, that's what we do as, as, as Christians, is we become baptized. If you, if you want to be baptized, come forward. If you want to join and be a part of this church, uh, we encourage you to come forward. Whatever it is that you need, this is a time for you. There's a lot of time with us talking and uh, and this is the time for you to be able to come forward and, and get whatever you need off your chest, to have somebody pray with you, to talk with somebody. If you just want to come and talk with us, that's fine too. 
So we're going to sing our song of invitation. I encourage you to come.